0: U-Q-U-A.
1: Welcome to Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name is Andrew Murray.
2: My name is Sarah Johannesson Murray.
1: Uh, For those of you perhaps who have never listened to the shows before, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 pm till 8 pm, we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a master's degree in herbal medicine. Okay, so I'm going to start the intro a little bit differently this month. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, we'll run the lines, the uh, call-in lines live from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. be very uh, in, keen to have people asking questions about the relevant subjects that we're going to bring out this evening, but uh, if you do have any other questions, uh, feel free. So, let me see here. Let's just get straight into our uh, introducing dr pete and uh we'll go from there i'd uh explain what we're going to be talking about uh after we've introduced dr pete this evening so dr pete you with us yes okay thanks so much for joining us uh as always uh very happy very pleased very uh yeah, very honoured to have you on the show, giving your time freely, the way you have done countless times, uh, not just for us but for other radio shows on, I know across America. Uh, for those people who perhaps have never heard of you before, I think they're gradually decreasing in numbers as uh, the internet gets more and more coverage, and people spread the uh, the truth. Uh, let's, not, let's not say the new but the truth uh, about what it is you've uh, been exposing for the last 40 years in terms of uh, mainstream medicine and the uh, ideology and dogma that's pervaded most of mainstream media and ideology um, would you just let people know where your educational academic background is from and uh, the kind of subjects that you've been specializing in before we open up tonight's topics
3: uh, from 1968-72 I studied at the University of Oregon, biology, uh, specializing in physiology, especially reproductive aging physiology. Uh, before that, it was uh, linguistics and literature, mostly. And uh, since then, I've been uh, studying the, the implications of of the research I did for my uh, Ph.D.
1: Okay, I know that uh, your kind of specialty you say is thyroid and hormones, uh, reproductive hormones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I know we've um, covered some of the uh, contents of what we're going to bring out tonight. For tonight's uh, topics, uh, I wanted to carry on uh, with the <sighs> kind of loosely termed uh, nitrosamines uh, formed. Uh, I know we've talked about it uh, in food, uh, but also as a component of water. So I wanted to get into water quality. Uh, I've got a few articles to cover and a couple of uh, fairly recent mandates uh, by the EPA uh, and how that ties into uh, the policies that are being formed uh, in America in allegiance with the United Nations and how the United Nations mandates in America are becoming more influential uh, and how that relates constitutionally to how things are actually enacted here in America having a constitution like we do. So uh, I wanted to mention a gentleman called Richard Radcliffe and he's a chemist and a water resource engineer and he's studied water uh, for 15 years or so and he states that there's hundreds if not thousands of disinfection by-products that form when chlorine is added to water to disinfect it. And the scary thing he says is that he's studied it for 15 years and that they can only identify about 50% of them and that most are likely to be carcinogenic. Uh, he said that they simply don't know all the byproducts they're creating by disinfecting water with chlorine. Now, for for us, this is a side note, but for us, obviously, uh, we manufacture medicinal herbs. Uh, we use spring water. Uh, we're very fortunate that we don't live... In the city, we don't use municipal water. Um, if I did, I would be using bottled water or spring water or water from some other non-municipal source. Anyway, because the idea, very idea of having chlorine in the water uh, and creating some kind of medicine from this is abhorrent. Uh, but <laughs> what's uh, what's your view of uh, chlorine in the water and how it interacts with? Uh, vol- the organic components that are still present, even though uh, to some extent it's filtered and micro-filtered, and and their byproducts, and how that relates to human health.
3: Um, some uh, city water departments have uh, discovered that it's uh, doable to use ultraviolet light or uh, uh, peroxide, hydrogen okay. peroxide, or ozone various oxidizing yeah. methods that uh, don't leave any residue. In fact, they tend to oxidize and uh, detoxify any of the chemical uh, contaminants that are in the water. Yeah. Oh.
2: Well, I, I did hear from the Redway um, Water Department that they are thinking, or the Garberville Redway area, our local area here, that they're thinking of using ultraviolet light. To start disinfecting the water and Michael did you have something to say
0: I can comment I'm actually on the redway board uh we do have a spring that's coming on which is very very clean water to begin with and we're planning on using an ultraviolet light Good. to disinfect that but the state still makes us chlorinate it after <laughs> that uh there's a bunch of different things I think the ultraviolet light does not kill some sort of like giardia or something it's a tough technology to work, and I personally am very, very interested in it because, as hmm. much as our health is impacted, it's also what comes out. The sewage waste is right. is treated, and you know any chromium, for instance, you have in that instead of
1: being divalent chromium becomes hexavalent chromium, and there's lots. Yeah, lots we of use uh, UV that. after it as a, it's a, uh, a post treatment. And uh, so I everything mean, gets filtered first.
0: Yeah, I mean, a treated. good filtration yes. helps a lot. But for city water, the state really makes mm. you chlorinate stuff. Yep. And any of the, quote, spring water that you're buying, any commercial water you bought has been treated with chlorine mm. and hyperfiltered. So it's much more cost-efficient to buy the very best filter you can mm. and use that on the municipal water because they're using municipal water at the water spring.
2: Even in our local South Fork Mountain water?
0: Uh, maybe not that, but you'd have to check. They're certainly chlorinated it before they're reverse osmosing it, or I, I'm not 100% sure, but really check your source and any of the mainstream
1: waters are owned by Coca-Cola and PepsiCo and whatnot. In there, oh, definitely.
2: yeah, I know, I know, you know that. So smart doc, doc, water doc, Dr. Is P, not smart.
1: getting back to you, Dr. Pete, and your your take on the chlorination issue.
3: Uh, well, if you have to um, use city water, I think it's good to at least let it stand in an open container for Twelve hours or so, or heat it to drive off uh, as much of the uh, chlorine and organic chlorides as possible.
1: Yeah, do you do you have any uh, uh, any experience either in research or just in the scientific literature about the effects of uh, chlorine reacting with organic compounds to form toxic byproducts?
3: Um, not no particular research, but it, uh, chlorine. Just uh, it's a very powerful oxidizer, and so it reacts with anything, uh, uh, any any carbon compound uh, that happens to be dissolved in the water.
1: Okay, because um, the the next thing that I found when I was looking at this is that um, chlorine seems to be somewhat going out of fashion. Uh, I know that when they pump water through municipal pipework, that because the uh, network is getting so extensive now, that because chlorine is so volatile, uh, some of the uh, some of the effectiveness of the chlorine has been reduced, and so now uh, they're using chloramines, and it's a kind of uh, compound ammonia and chlorine together. It's a lot more persistent. You can't just let it evaporate. Uh, in a in a container or anything like that. And it's extremely hard to filter out, believe it or not. I think you have to have a, a very good quality carbon wrap filter in order to uh, bind uh, the, those compounds to it. But um, I think That's- probably what was more interesting was that the toxic byproducts from chloramination are far more, it was stated as a thousand times more toxic have, have you heard of chloramination?
3: Um, uh, it, just vaguely, but um, it's uh, relating to the uh, research that started around 1970 on the nitrosamines. Uh, the um, uh, chloramine uh, largely breaks down to, to form uh, the nitrosamines, uh-huh. uh, the, the NDMA, uh, uh, nitroso. Dimethylamine. Okay. Um, And I think there's um, pressure from the food and agricultural industry to uh, propagandize that the nitrosamines aren't carcinogenic, (laughs) which they were established to be 40 some years ago, uh, because it's uh, profitable to fertilize heavily with nitrogen fertilizer and uh, also to uh, preserve foods with nitrates and nitrites. And uh, so there's uh, a lot of uh, propagandistic uh, science publication going on saying that rather than being toxic, the nitrites and nitrates, and even the nitrosamines, uh, they're they're not only uh, supposed to be non-carcinogenic, but they're now saying that they're even beneficial (laughs) to the health uh, reducing heart disease and oh reducing cancer and helping to build muscle and so on.
1: Because these are the very things they've been saying are carcinogenic about uh, nitrates in in, in meat that's kept, uh, you're treated with nitrates and...
3: Um, yeah, that, that was a big thing around 1970 when they saw that uh, babies that were fed uh, uh, pureed spinach, for example, uh-huh. uh, sometimes turned blue because <laughs> of the... Interference of the the hemoglobin. Yeah, with (laughs) making the hemoglobin unable to uh, carry oxygen.
1: Because it binds to hemoglobin, doesn't it?
3: um, Yeah, and uh, the the nitrates do that uh, even when we make them internally from proteins Mm -hmm. under stress. But because of the uh, the food industry uh, uh, concern about uh, selling their products. Uh, there there has been this reaction saying that it was only a few uh, uh, farms that had nitrate contaminated water that really w- uh, were causing the uh, the baby problems
1: right and this would have been from a kind of chemical uh, runoff uh, fertilizer or manure runoff
3: yeah yeah uh, and and they tried to reduce it to uh, nothing but the blue baby uh, phenomenon and to uh, distract attention from the Uh, really universally recognized uh, tumor promoting uh, potential of all of the nitrates and nitrites and nitrosamines
1: I've uh, also understand that this uh, compound uh, chloramine is extremely toxic uh, to kidney dialysis patients Uh, they can't use water for dialyzing if it's uh, been treated with chloramine and it's extremely toxic to fish Yeah, Did you hear that, Dr. P? I didn't I, hear. I, I, yeah. Sorry. Um. Okay. All right. Now, Sarah, did oh, you?
2: D- Michael, our engineer, has something to tell us about the chloramines.
0: Oh, well, just that they are super, super toxic in the, the triclosan hand sanitizers. They're all that same chemistry. And actually, I, I first inquired at my water district long before I was on the board about whether we used chlorine or chloramine because I grew up in the Bay Area where they use chloramine. And apparently our chemical, we asked, the office asked, and our chemical supplier said, I wouldn't even sell that poison. So that's someone who sells chlorine for a living. He claims he wouldn't even sell that, quote, poison of the chloramine. Mm
2: -hmm. So the Redway Garberville water is treated with chlorine?
0: Oh, The Redway water, Garberville, I believe is too, but we're separate. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, almost everyone is using chlorine these days,
1: uh, but obviously some people are still using chloramine.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Michael.
1: Okay, you're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. on KMD galberville 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of uh, water quality. Uh, we're going to be getting into global warming and uh, a couple of other controversial subjects. Let's, uh, let's just leave it at that until we get to the point here. Um, okay, so, Dr. Pete, uh, getting, um, getting on to the potential... Uh, potential toxins if you like from the byproducts of breakdown uh, reacting with chlorine and chloramines Um, surely the uh, and again it's a kind of a difficult a difficult question just to say what do you do because it really is a consequence of just modern living where we're all living in sit well we we don't fortunately but uh, you know modern living in cities uh, having the government take care of of your water supply rather than you taking care of it, and then the government coming up with these kind of policies like chlorine and chloramine uh, without and, and having this kind of the lesser of two evils uh, rationale for it that there's far fewer people hurt from the toxic byproducts than there is that uh, that would die from dysentery or, or some other related, you know, fecal contamination or, uh, you know, that that kind of thing. How, how, how do you feel about uh, city? I mean, you live in Eugene, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so do you do anything particularly to your water? Oh,
3: uh, yeah, we always filter it. We never yeah. drink it yeah. straight out of the placid, yeah. even though uh, it comes from the Mackenzie River, which is okay. uh, one of the least uh, polluted rivers. But uh, just because of the the chlorine issue we, we never uh, drink plain water right uh, and if you make coffee with uh city water that's one of the practical ways of filtering it uh, go on heavy metals are very efficiently uh, bound to the uh coffee grounds if you make the drip method
1: coffee to the coffee grounds
3: Uh, yeah so that you put in dirty water and you get clean coffee out the other
1: (laughs) okay interesting okay so I don't know that Michael said that there was somebody who was on the air I don't know if there is yeah if if they're there let's let's take them and see okay caller you're on the air and where are you from
4: hey I'm from uh, um, whale gulch
1: okay Go ahead, what's your question?
4: I want to ask the doctor what his opinion is of medical marijuana and the possibility of its use to everybody.
1: Okay, Dr. P.. Uh,
4: for its use for what?
1: Uh, he said everybody. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, when I
4: community was... to the world. Yeah. To, you know, medical marijuana is a wonderful thing. It can a- ease a
3: lot of difficult situations. Um, when I was uh, about nine years old, uh, a doctor prescribed uh, marijuana and uh, uh, gave me a big uh, paper bag about a I don't know a half a cubic foot of, of marijuana leaves to make a tea, and uh, I, I took it every day for until the bag was used up. But I wasn't especially impressed by it. Uh, all I, my problem was just uh, migraines occasionally but uh, I know it is, is very good for...
4: You have to be very careful. <laughs> it, it's a very powerful herb, you know, and you, you want to just take the minute quantities of it in order to get the maximum uh, gentle uh, feeling of the, of the drug.
1: Okay, thanks for your call, caller. Okay. Okay. Uh, And also, I don't know if anybody's listening, if they do want to call in, uh, please don't have your radio on. Uh, It really interferes uh, with the dynamics here in the show. Okay, so Dr. Pete, um, I also saw, whilst I was looking at the whole chloramination issue, Uh, that there was a nationwide study on water treatment contaminants done by the EPA, and it reported that chloraminated drinking water had the highest levels of an unregulated chemical family known as the iodoacids. Have you heard of the? I'd never even heard of these things. Um,
3: No, no, No? I don't know.
1: So they they carried on to say that some researchers researchers, um, considered the iodoacids to be potentially the most toxic group of water treatment contaminants found to date. Uh, but uh, they did also say that there's still relatively little research on them. So, okay, so that's that's the water. I know that, um, as I said, kind of municipal entities want to keep themselves covered, and that uh, when the EPA allow these things, they're certainly not going to stop using them. Michael, what did you, what did you have? You? Oh, that means another caller. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to say something. Call, let's take this next caller then. Hi, caller. You, oh. You're on the air, and where are you from? Hi,
5: I I'm in Crescent
1: City. Crescent City. Hey, what's your question? I,
5: I wanted to I just I was doing other things when I heard you talk something about uh chlorine in the water mm-hmm. and uh I, I've noticed when I take a water bottle of water, you know, on a hike with me recently and I open it up I get a blast of chlorine mm-hmm. of uh, gas coming out. Yeah. And so what I've started doing is uh you know, I, I you know, I have cups of water, you know, around the house so I can drink water. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I do now is I fill a cup of water and then I just leave it sitting around, and it'll outgas, and you know because chlorine's a gas. So there's there's two products basically. I guess you would be concerned about one is the gas, which is real easy to get rid of. You don't need a filter. You just fill a bottle or a let pot, it and let it sit around for a couple hours or days. I'm not sure how long. Yeah. And um, and then the other thing is the the chlorine that's already reacted. With biological or organic matter that's sure. in your water. Yeah. And that you might, I suppose, get with a filter. Yeah. Although I don't know how much that is. Some of um, that evaporates. So there's two too. things there's the chlorine gas, and then there's uh, molecules or organic matter that's already reacted right. with the chlorine that's probably not going to outgas, right. which you might want to filter if you think there's a lot of that. But I have a hunch that they, that most of it is the gas. And if you just simply uh let it sit out in the air for hours or days I'm not sure how how long um it'll and you can you know how you could tell just let, yep. try letting it sit out different amounts of time and then put it into a bottle and let it sit in the bottle for a long time yeah. and so. then open the bottle and you can just smell it. I mean, yeah. you can smell down to, I don't know, about one part per billion
1: or something I think, like that. I think the whole point so. is the, uh, the chlorine is actually the main culprit that it's actually reacting with other organic compounds to form yeah. toxic byproducts. And yes, you're right when you say you can cap the product and take the top off and then the chlorine gas is released into the atmosphere. Um, but it's more what we're getting at here, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do this. I'm just opening it up for discussion as part of what we're covering tonight, is that the the, the product itself, chlorine, uh, produces a lot of toxic byproducts from the organic matter in the water, uh, even yeah. at small levels of which some of it is extremely toxic. And the chloramine uh, is even more potent at doing that, so it's even worse. Thank okay. you for your call.
5: Yeah, so anyway, so that's an experiment somebody could do about um uh, letting the water sit out different periods of time, then putting it into a bottle and letting it sit around for at least a, a day or two, and then open the bottle and see if you can smell the chlorine and see how long it needs to sit around before the the amount that you can detect with your nose.
1: All right, I appreciate your call. Now, Dr. Pete, uh, you were going, I didn't want to cut you off if you wanted to add something to that because there is another caller on the line.
3: Oh, uh, well, um, chloroform and other uh, uh, chlorinated hydrocarbons, mm-hmm. Uh, are volatile, volatile too, so um, they will um, gas out.
1: Okay, alright, so we have another caller here on the line. Hello, Hi, Hi caller, where are you from and what's your question?
6: Uh, Fort Bragg.
1: Fort Bragg, hey, um, what's your
6: question? Yeah, just wondered uh, if, uh, I mean, a doctor might have some information on this, might not, if I just wanted to add regarding it, and that's uh, what I was wondering about is the best you know filtration system for everyone mm-hmm. you know could use right now. Yeah. and years ago i I was in uh, marketing of of water filters, mm-hmm. and at that time we had a pressed a very high quality pressed carbon block yeah. filter, and that was supposed to be very good for taking out not just chlorine but the some of the organic. Uh, Trihalomethanes yeah. that are produced
1: yeah. by having chlorine Absolutely, in the we water. haven't mentioned those, but you're very and right. Some right.
6: other pretty rough stuff. Giardia lamblia yeah. cyst. It would take that out.
1: Yeah. And uh, well, I, I've got an answer for you, but I will let Dr. P go first because I'm uh, I'd be curious. Right. And
6: one one other thing I wanted to add is, is, for someone who doesn't, you know, really can't filter all the different locations in the home, that probably the best location is the shower because the body is the largest organ. That's right. And you can always take drinking water, you know, out of a shower and put it in the kitchen in a uh, glass container of some sort. Yeah. But anyway, just a a couple
3: thoughts.
1: Okay. Good, good. Dr. Pete.
3: Um, Carbon uh, does absorb and even destroy some of the uh, compounds, but uh, it isn't a a complete uh, safety
1: method. Okay, well, uh, I wanted to add to this that uh, we use, and I have used this ever since we first started producing extracts, uh, probably because I'm British and I knew about it, but uh, Royal Dalton is the uh, China manufacturer in England that's produced the fine bone China for over 100 years, and um, they developed and patented a process by which they produce ceramic filters uh, which go down to about two angstroms, I think. They're extremely fine, a sub-micron uh, filter. That's just the outside of it. Uh, they do a five-stage filter where the outside of the shell is a micro-crystalline ceramic, and then they have a uh, silver, uh, like a colloidal silver uh, per, uh, membrane. Uh, they have an activated carbon uh, block core with an ion exchange resin uh, part of the filter too so it takes out virtually everything, it leaves the minerals in, uh, it leaves the taste of the water unchanged, Uh, it's the only filter that I know of that's actually actively uh, endorsed by the World Health Organization Not that I'm endorsing the World Health Organization as an entity, because actually we're going to touch on a little bit of that a little bit later, but I don't want to get too political with it. Uh, So the World Health Organization actually uh, endorsed this filter uh, for use, especially in third world countries where you can literally take pond water, uh, pump it through this uh, filter, which does take at least 30 psi uh, to get a reasonable flow from it. Uh, It's not something you're probably going to do with a whole house, but for a drinking water faucet, uh, it's a very good way of producing excellent quality water that's completely free of giardia, all sorts of cysts. It takes out viruses. It binds ionically to any of those known... uh, positively charged or even negatively charged uh, cations and anions in the water uh, it'll take out all of the metal contaminations things like uh, you know manganese magnet not all of that but uh, it will take out some of those more toxic ones so mercury uh, and uh, other parts even i think it takes out silver and that kind of thing too
2: they they, (coughs) pardon me they do have a whole house system too so
1: they do but i don't think you're going to get enough flow to get your shower turned another gentleman mentioned showers and I know there's quite a few different places that have shower uh, heads that are filters uh, with reported water rates, flow rates and reported reduction uh, especially of things like chlorine that are available uh, I actually have one on my shower because I used to get
0: such a strong chlorine smell and you get a much much less chlorine smell after using just it cost like 20 bucks I got it at the health food yeah. store and it screws in between my nozzle and yeah. the pipe
2: is it just a little carbon block that's, yep. yep
0: and then it starts you know I think it only lasts for
1: a year or so probably depending on how how long or how long your showers are excellent okay so you're listening to Ask Your Web Doctor on KMU Degarable 91.1 FM and from now till the end of the show at eight o'clock you're invited to call in with either questions related to this month's subject of water quality, uh, global warming, amongst other things, uh, and general uh, government uh, control, if you like, of uh, what's uh, going on in the healthcare. So the number here, if you live in the area, is nine nine two three three nine one one. 3911 If you're outside the area, there's a toll-free number, 1-800-KMUD-RAD or one eight hundred five six eight three seven two three. 568 3723 so, Dr. Pete, um, I did want to, I did, and it's, I don't want to get too political, uh, but it's an interesting subject because, again, we're an alternative radio show. Uh, this is an alternative radio station for crying out loud. Uh, I think the subject's definitely worth airing. Uh, at the end of the day, I have seen so much convincing scientific evidence. Uh, to refute global warming, that I think this is uh, uh, a subject that I would like to try and open up a little bit to get to some of the uh, financial background uh, behind some of the mandates that both the EPA uh, and the government are uh, putting into place uh, to basically counter the supposed carbon dioxide threat to global warming because I know, and I wanted to bring this out Dr. Pete, because I know that you're passionately an advocate of carbon dioxide in living systems and um, the people that I would point the radio listeners to uh, to go on the web and listen to this very, very well educated and eloquent scientifically backed up by so many scientists around the world, people that have worked with NOAA in America, North American, uh, North Atlantic, North, no, NOAA is the NOAA.gov, it's a North, uh, no, National Ocean Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, sorry, okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, because it ties so many different parts of what I know you have got a lot of information on it ties in the financial corruption that there is in the world which kind of makes medicine go in skewed directions really sometimes not following the science but following the money and uh, i think it's a very interesting uh, subject that needs to be opened up so that we can really hear the full debate about this i think a lot of people unfortunately go along with it because it maybe just sounds that we are such an evil species producing such a lot of evil carbon dioxide that we need to be controlled when I know that this particular person, uh, Lord Christopher Monckton, who's a uh, uh, an, English, an English lord, uh, he's actually taken this upon himself as a fairly uh, lifetime commitment to exposing the uh, lies about global warming. And uh, if people want to go to YouTube, uh, his name is... Christopher Moncton, M-O-N-C-T-O-N, and if you typed into a YouTube search Christopher Moncton Climate Change... Uh, You'll see quite a number of uh, interviews with Christopher Monckton. Now, he presented himself uh, at the Paris Climate Talks. Uh, He's been to the ICPP and he's came and he delivered a speech to Congress in uh, 2013, uh, purely because Al Gore's program documentary that he got a Nobel Prize for actually turned out to be so false. And there were about 40 different statements in there that were proved to be false, that the English government had to take it out of the curriculum in the schools. So anyway, it's interesting that um, there's always more than one side to any argument. And uh, whilst I won't just promote any one side, the truth is always out there, and I think science is always able to back it up. So that's why uh, I really appreciate what you bring to the table, Dr. Pete, because you're a scientist, and... um, you know, people can say what they want, but if they don't have the evidence to back it up, it's not really worth too much. So the whole uh, global warming thing, um, your opinion on CO2, I mean, do you think we could do with less CO2 in the Earth than we have now? Do you, and do you have much of a uh, a voice about the previous levels of CO2 and what it meant for plants and humans? Um, uh,
3: yeah, there was the Carboniferous Age of when... There was just tremendous luxuriant growth of vegetation uh, because of high atmospheric carbon dioxide. Uh, one of the things that got me interested in the issue, uh, I think it was 1969 that I saw the study um, correlating the uh, ratio of babies' head size and chest uh, circumference mm-hmm. to the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. and Uh, uh, This was showing evidence that uh, brains were getting bigger as carbon dioxide increased. (laughs) And uh, uh, there are several reasons why that would happen. The uh, uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh, helps uh, the body to retain its proper uh, amount of CO2, and that inhibits wasteful uh, uh, lactic acid metabolism and uh, uh, stabilizes the nerves so that they can rest more efficiently and, and so on um, but the,
6: uh,
3: the, the I think the general uh, trend uh, of, of the uh, warming currently the last hundred years or so is being driven by the sun's uh, normal uh, cycle or uh, as far as it can be determined. Um, that there are not only the 11 year cycles, but uh, probably uh, much larger cycles. And uh, several uh, astronomers have been showing evidence that the solar constant has been increasing in recent decades enough to fully account for the uh, planetary warming that, as far as that's been established.
1: I, I saw from the uh, presentation, I think it might have been part of Al Gore's presentation uh, when he got the Nobel Prize for this, uh, that there were three main warming periods in uh, the period 1905 to 1913 or 1914. Um, two of them uh, did not uh, coincide uh, with CO2 necessarily. The third one, which was one of the most recent can be scientifically explained from satellite observations of decreased cloud cover. And this decreased cloud cover, particularly over the tropics, allows solar radiation to enter and strike the Earth and therefore re-radiate. And this was actually a physical warming attribute. And that actually throughout the history of known um data there's actually very little evidence to support actual global warming but in fact actual cooling uh in the last 17 years the earth has actually cooled i know they've mentioned uh 2010 i think as one of the warmest years on record and uh m- more evidence for global warming but i've also seen evidence for antarctic ice sheets increasing i've seen polar bear species increasing in number not decreasing and what really worries me is a kind of mandate that the uh, EPA would have uh, on carbon and how carbon taxes, folks. (laughs) Carbon taxes are uh, politically boundary-free. It doesn't matter how you vote or how you think politically. Everyone is going to pay carbon taxes. And um, I would put out to you that this global warming uh, (laughs) would definitely conspire to increase worldwide revenue from global carbon taxation and it further worsened the plight of third world countries. Now, it's the third world countries that need energy production, whether it's from coal-fired stations or other carbon sources. And third world countries are going to be very much um, disadvantaged uh, by this taxation. The first world, the industrialized nations, have already gone through their industrial growth from the benefit of coal f- as an example, uh, and I think this mandate is yet another mandate to keep the poor poor and to maintain the elitist uh, position that I think people that are in big government and big corporations actually have an exercise. So I'd encourage everyone to look at YouTube and to look and uh, look at Lord Monckton's compelling evidence. He speaks bef- before several government entities. He's not just out there on his own talking to the. <laughs> talking to the people in the church or the you know the street corner so i would encourage people to take a look at the evidence that he has c- because there's a, a a large number of recognized scientists and they come from places like NOAA and other government agencies even that are saying the evidence is actually not there so i think uh, there is another caller on the line here so let's get this next caller before we carry on with this topic hi caller you're on the air
7: um hello. I have two things I wanna to uh ask about and then I wanna get off the phone. Sure. Where are you and from, to caller before? Listen I... to it. First yeah. one is about carbon sequestration. Okay. My understanding that what they do is if they're not gonna cut their tree, that tree holds so much carbon and it can you know, one of these companies that are polluting can buy that carbon and continue to pollute and say, Oh, but I'm paying for this carbon to be held yeah. in this tree Yeah. And then my other thing that I wanted to talk about was um, airline travel. You know, everybody mm-hmm. just went here or there or somewhere else. Yep. They got in an airplane, yep. and they circled around, and they caused all this pollution, you know,
1: well, all the very, over the, the place. The, the, the very people How many times does an
7: airplane circle before it lands? The very, very people do you that attended the Paris
1: Climate Conference the, um, talks came in private aircraft. And it's well known. There's plenty of uh, p- published evidence here to show that these big private commercial jets uh, that were bought in, carrying various dignitaries and leaders, etc., had uh, landed on a private airfield in France uh, and that the whole thing there was an extremely extravagant and costly affair. And the people that want to tell you that you should be paying carbon taxes are the very people that are going to be collecting carbon taxes from you. So, again think of alternatives people don't just go along with the mainstream uh ideology because if you don't have an alternative there will be no no there will be no change so in terms of carbon sequestration and paying uh to have carbon offset follow the money that's all you've got to do is follow the money so i don't know is there another caller on there let's take this next caller and see where it's going Caller, you're on there where are you from
4: uh, I'm uh, from here, uh, yeah. Southern Humboldt, I guess you'll say. Okay. Anyhow, uh, I uh, was wondering if you know anything about the Multi-Pure filter. It's uh, sold around here.
2: Pardon, can you um, say that again? The Multi-Pure? Oh, the Multi-Pure water filter? Yes. Dr. Pete, do you have any um, knowledge of the Multi-Pure water filter?
1: No. Yeah, I think it's a fairly. I think it's a fairly basic. Uh, I think
2: it's a carbon block filter.
1: Yeah, I think it's. It's a f-
4: supposed to be pretty good and covers uh, a lot of everything.
1: Yeah, I think. The other it's thing is, um, on
4: global warming. I don't know if it's the carbon or the planet's just moving closer to the sun, but it does. I don't see how you can say that because the uh, glaciers are withdrawing, the ice is melting and that the overall temperature hasn't been going up. I mean, this I, I've, I've heard some of this debate or discussion start back in the 1950s. And so, I don't know, I've been paying a little attention to it. Yeah. And it seems that the overall is getting warmer, which is actually beneficial for the people on the planet. Now, we have had a lot to do with it. Every war, every bomb dropped, all the fireplaces... All the electromagnetic's in the air. It's all
1: involved. Well, let me, and, let me, let me go on
4: yeah, to say... well, <laughs> the plan being more inhabitable for people.
1: Well, let me go on to say this, that the EPA now has mandated a ban for 80% of wood-burning stoves and boilers in seven U.S. states. So...
2: Yeah, oh, Dr. Pete, are you aware of someone being told they couldn't burn wood in Eugene? We heard in that Oregon, in the
3: news. Oregon, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, they... Yeah.
2: Or, I don't know, was it Eugene or was it somewhere else in Oregon?
1: No, was... I heard it was in Eugene.
3: Yeah, that, Eugene has it, but uh, for about uh, 40 years, Eugene every summer was polluted to the point that the death rate from asthma patients uh, peaked during the, the weeks that they were burning their grass fields. And
4: well, they still it, do it that.
3: It took really about 40 years, and what finally stopped that was a gigantic Freeway pileup that killed some people because who, who the then started suing. And uh, finally, the politicians uh, gradually... Well, the,
4: the wood burning part of it, it's um, slightly different to me than when you're talking about the carbon tax that involves the oil
3: and the coal...
1: OK, so, Dr. Pete, uh, you're aware of what's going on uh, there in Oregon. Um, uh,
3: yeah, the... the um, Uh, Almost everyone has stopped burning wood where uh, it used to be uh, uh, very smoky. The the mills would burn uh, all of their uh, trimmings and and sawdust uh, so that the the timber industry was really the main uh, source of wood-burning pollution. Uh, But since they cut forests down, uh, there just isn't uh, that much wood available for heating. So I don't think that's as much of an issue as the the absence of the forests because forests are a major climate stabilizing Mm -hmm. factor by absorbing and releasing water and uh, reflecting the infrared and so on.
1: Uh, I thought it was quite strange that the uh, two most... uh Controversial, or the two most uh, demonized compounds uh, that the EPA wanted to regulate heavily uh, were CO2 and water vapor uh, and uh, both of those are exhaled by everybody. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, I won't, I won't say it's a conspiracy but uh, I'll say it sounds like a conspiracy. Um, I think there's a caller kind of calling in here. Let's just see uh, where this next one's going.
2: Well, Dr. Pete, while we're waiting, I remember you telling me about a rainforest. I don't know if it was in the south of Mexico or somewhere else in South America, but you said that it had been cut down and then the weather changed and then it became a desert.
3: uh, Yeah, just in the last uh, few decades, uh, I I saw some of that happening. Uh, I used to travel on the train, and uh, first I would go through a, a countryside that had just been a few years before, uh, deforested, and it was uh, rolling green uh, uh, hills. Uh, two or three years later, I would go through there, and it was uh, there were canyons cut through the soil, uh, erosion, uh, uh, thirty or forty feet deep within a few years. And uh, after the, the um, much of southern Mexico, Oaxaca was deforested. Uh, the climate changed so much that uh, they were no longer able to grow uh, uh, corn at every season. Uh, they, they could only get one corn crop per year rather than two or three.
2: And so the trees were actually bringing in the moisture.
3: Uh, and stabilizing the temperature. Yeah. Um, the, um, in the summer, uh, the area is, is cooled by the evaporation. Uh, If you uh, don't have the forest, the the temperature of the land increases very sharply in the summer, uh, causing updrafts that that, uh, create uh, intense rainfall, thunderstorms, uh, rather than a a cool, steady, uh, even temperature all year round from the uh, uh, slow evaporation from the trees.
1: Good point. Okay, I just wanted to mention also that it's, uh, And we talked a little bit about the United Nations. America is part of the founding, uh, founding group of uh, uh, c- countries that form the United Nations. Um, so it's now a United Nations policy, and now in the U.S., the United Nations is dictating policy. I don't know how uh, that can be constitutional. And now the cap-and-trade tax proposal, which has seen President Obama, uh, his EPA policy shut 40%. Of coal-fired power stations directly increasing energy costs to americans an example of skewed data sets providing the, un- the necessary means to implement this taxation which will be unavoidable and uh, have no effect on the target objective uh, but which has the political advantage of decreasing funding from the majority now republican donors which are largely energy corporations and these support coal so is there a political agenda i just want to put that out there Uh, Again, it's an alternative show, and the whole subject of global warming uh, and the cap-and-trade and and the taxation being mandated for every man, woman, and child is kind of scary. So people really need to think about what it is they're voting on and what they believe in, and then look at the facts and the science to make the objective decision. Okay, there's two callers on the air, so let's get these uh, next next caller. Hi, caller, where where are you from? Hello, uh,
6: I'm from Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Madison, Wisconsin. What's your question?
6: Um, my per- my main question was um, my girlfriend has really low cholesterol and she has Hashimoto's. Okay. And I was curious if gelatin might raise the cholesterol, and like, and what, and how, what the mechanism is for like dysbiosis and um,
3: uh, dyslipidemia.
1: Okay, Dr. Peak, did you catch all that? It's a little bit...
3: Uh, I didn't get all of it, but yeah. uh, uh, Hashimoto's usually just means low thyroid function, which is um, more common in women because estrogen inhibits the thyroid, and uh, low thyroid then lets estrogen rise. And uh, was the rest of the question about the um, blood count, red cells. Well,
2: he he said that his girlfriend had low cholesterol.
6: And Hashimoto's. Oh.
2: And Hashimoto's. Um,
6: yeah, it's um, It's it's one thirty eight. Right.
2: One thirty eight. Yeah, and it's it's with a fasting. Well, it's best to do a, an actually it's a non fasting yeah. cholesterol. But for a non fasting cholesterol, a good place for it to be at is around one seventy five.
3: yeah. Sometimes intestinal irritation can affect the liver so much that it doesn't make enough cholesterol.
2: Oh yeah, that was his next question. As he said, and how does that how is that influenced by dysbiosis? Um, The
3: the endotoxin uh, poisons the liver and uh, lets estrogen and other uh, toxic metabolites increase, uh, but um, the, the, the liver needs available. Uh, glucose to to produce adequate uh, cholesterol and uh, eating uh, fruits especially orange juice will often bring a person's cholesterol up to normal
2: and if if she replaces her starchy carbohydrates with the orange juice and um, has about a cup of raw carrot grated raw carrot at night before she goes to bed that should help with the dysbiosis by eliminating the starches and doing the carrot salad.
3: Yes, I think that's the right approach.
1: Okay, there's two more callers. Yeah. Let's, let's, thank you for your well, call,
6: call. Uh, I was going to ask, like, she's kind of a picky eater. She doesn't get very hungry. Would gelatin help her with that?
2: With her appetite? Well, gelatin's... The, the ad- cholesterol,
6: ad- like if it would help her gut, then would it then help her cholesterol? Well?
2: well, gelatin will be anti-inflammatory for the intestine, And in that way, it could help her liver be less irritated and thereby make more cholesterol. So, yeah, it's probably a good thing for everybody to take.
1: Dr. Pete, do you have a direct answer for the gentleman in relation to gelatin consumption to increase cholesterol? Exactly what Sarah said. There you go. Okay, good. We've got two more callers on the air. Thanks for your call, caller. Let's take this next caller. And uh, where are you from? Uh,
4: That's me. I'm from uh, Bryson.
1: President okay, what's the question?
4: Um, doesn't it seem that it would be better uh in the developing nations to encourage more as the United States should have also uh converted to several of the alternative powers geothermal solar you know uh, those kind of ideas rather than just getting it Give more money to some corrupted corporations.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. In California and the uh, latitudes that get sun exposure, solar energy is fantastic, and that should be a lot more available to people. Uh, I think uh, geothermal and water is also an option where there's plenty of uh, resource for it.
2: But it doesn't make the power companies enough money.
1: What I would say is I think the whole EPA mandate uh, is definitely avoidable with uh, good up-to-date, uh, filtration, you know, the the means exist to produce these coal-fired power stations that have zero emissions, uh, and I think the objective analysis is that nuclear is unfortunately the only other option, and that's where we're going with what we've got going right now. Uh, well,
4: you could also just burn the trash if you have a clean burning scrubbers on it like you're course, talking about for the coal of course, plants, of then you can, might as well just even burn trash. You I could. Then come go into oh. our landfills oh. and mine them. Yeah,
1: you could. To
4: separate the metals and everything out. I mean, Philadelphia had a pretty good suggestion by the science officer, Dr. Levy, who uh, showed the whole process of how the separation, even of the materials, uh, the metals would go out one way, the glass would mm-hmm. go out another level. It, you know, a uh, trash-polexa system would work pretty good, too, if you're going to have clean scrubbers.
1: Dr.
4: No, P. P. Okay, well, thanks.
1: Yeah, you're
3: welcome. Dr. Thank P. you for your call. Uh, composting is a really a, a viable source of of heat of uh, methane production but just uh heat right directly from the compost
1: because i i have read a couple of uh large municipal landfills are starting to do this with uh, methane uh, as a viable uh byproduct of composting all of the household refuse
2: and strauss creamery Makes electricity from the methane from their cows. <laughs>
1: there you go. All right, we have another caller on uh, let's take this next call away from.
8: Uh my name's Andy Caffrey I'm in Garberville.
1: In Garberville. Uh, what's your call, caller?
8: Well, um, you know, organisms only evolve tolerances to circumstances that their species evolved through. And when I was in high school I studied intertidal marine biology and we would measure the temperature, salinity, and pH in tide pools every hour, and then go out in the ocean and measure the same thing. And what we found is that there's very little change in the course of a day and as the tide withdraws out in the open ocean. But there's much more of a change in those things in the tide pools. So the creatures that evolve in the tide pools mm-hmm. are urethermal and urehaline, which means wide tolerance, yeah. and the creatures that evolve in the ocean are stenohaline or stenothermal. Right. So we now know that for the last 2.1 million years, the range of CO2 has been between 170 and 290 parts per million, and we're at 400. Mm-hmm. So I hear you making a generalized case about CO2 in plants, but you have to l- literally look at every species and every ecosystem, and you have to answer the question, how can all these ecosystems that evolved in that range tolerate 400 parts per million? And also you have to look at what's happening with West Antarctica, where its collapse is now unstoppable, And that's probably because it it has gotten up to 400 parts per million, and now we're going to face 20 feet of sea level increase this century, and that's unstoppable. How can anybody say global warming is good?
1: It's not going to happen. What you need to do is you need to look at the alternative, validated science from Lord Moncton. You go ahead and do that, and I think you'll find some more objective answers that unfortunately I can't give you because I'm not a scientist on that subject, but I can point you to that person who totally is. Okay, we have another caller on the air. What's What's your uh, question, where are you from?
8: Um, I am from Calgary, Alberta and I'm wondering why people following the McDougal program um, who eat tons of starch and vegetables are able to reverse heart disease lose weight, that kind of thing.
1: Okay, so how, how, do, you, how do you know this? What's the, the, uh, the evidence for it?
8: Oh, um, well I, I guess it was on the doctor's uh, website his name is dr. John McDougall
2: and he's in California right I'm not sure where he is actually I think I've had a client who who had seen
1: dr What what's your what's your objective analysis of a starchy carbohydrate rich diet curing heart disease
3: um, I've talked to some of his uh, patients and I'm sure they aren't getting enough protein.
1: Okay that would be a very subjective uh, analysis, okay, so if we don't have too much more to add to that, uh, I'm afraid'll okay. we'll, yeah I'm afraid we'll probably have to stop uh, right there
7: that's okay, thank you so much okay well thank, thank you for, you for listening call.
1: and thank you for your call okay, yeah, so uh, we've we got here okay so, okay, so uh, I think we probably should uh, leave that for tonight at uh, five to eight and I want to make sure that people get um, the directions necessary to find your website, Dr. Pete. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us.
3: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pete.
1: Okay, so for those people who have uh, listened to tonight's show, I know that sometimes the uh, subjects are controversial. I'm glad they're controversial guess people think. Uh, and those people that really care about any of it can always find uh, an objective analysis uh, from scientific research. So I'd always encourage people to look at the science. Now... Like I said about global warming, there are 40 points of Al Gore's book that have been refuted in England, and they're not allowed now to be published in the curricula that was proposed for education of children concerning this part of geography. Now, Lord Monkson, again, not just because he's a lord and he speaks with a posh English accent, that doesn't make him... Uh,
2: any better than those people out on the
1: corners. Any better than Street people out on the corner. corners. But... He has spent his life studying this, and he has drawn together eminent scientists that are not lords. They're just science people. They're just scientists. That's all they do is science work. And they're very objective in science. There's no political agenda. There's no financial agenda. That's why science for itself is a fairly pure and altruistic uh, s- subject. So uh, Lord Monckton is someone who you can look at uh, on YouTube. And, and who how do you does spell Monckton? Say again.
2: How do you spell his name?
1: It's M O N C K T O N. He's the uh, he's a viscount of Brenchley in, in England. But anyway, he's uh, he's very well educated, and uh, his arguments for it are equally and oppositely, uh, just like a positive and negative. <laughs> two positive uh, uh, electrons repel each other, or two magnet ends repel each other. Uh, he provides the same evidence uh, to push the argument the other way. So that was the first thing, uh, and then for those of that uh, if you have called in, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to listen and contribute. Uh, we will be doing the same show the third Friday of next month. I uh, just want to let people know that uh, the website that we've had, which has been woefully outdated, I uh, did it in two thousand and one uh, with Adobe Page Mill on an old computer, uh, and it hasn't changed up until tomorrow. So tomorrow. Uh, The new website, uh, westernbotanicalmedicine.com, has all of these interviews on it. There's 57 radio interviews that have been edited and will be available free to download. Uh, for anybody who wants to take the time to look at it uh, i would encourage you to go and do that not because i need hits on the website because we come up first time anyway when you type in western botanical medicine not looking for that just want to make sure that people know all these interviews with dr pete have been recorded and are freely available Uh, so thanks so much for joining us and uh, we'll be here same time next month third friday of the month
2: and for those of you who want to Look at Dr. Reb, uh, Dr. Ray Pete's website. It's www.raypeat.com, and that's R A Y P E A T.
1: And he has a whole range of fully referenced uh, scientific journals that are not selling anything. And time and time again, what he's said has been borne out slowly but surely in the mainstream as the culture recognizes this change that's inevitable. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Until next month, good night. Good night. Support for KMUD comes
0: from Inn of the Lost Coast in Shelter Cove with fireplace, spa, and sauna suites overlooking the ocean and views of the migrating California gray whales. Fish Tank Espresso and Delgada Pizza and Bakery are open daily. More information available at 986-7521 or online at com. And support for KMUD comes from SolarWinds Northern Lights, a licensed, insured, bonded contractor specializing in the design, installation, maintenance, and troubleshooting of battery-based and grid-tied solar electric systems. Also, complete electrical services for homes, homesteads, and agriculture. More information is available from Chris at 498 or online at solarwindsnorthernlights.com. It is eight o'clock. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD, Garberville, KMUE,
5: Eureka, K.